When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I'm at that point where I was like, why do we do this to ourselves? And I was like stressing, you know, it's hard not to compare yourself to others. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Lynn Liao Butler was born in Taiwan and moved to the States when she was seven. Before becoming an author, she was a professional ballet and modern dancer and is still a personal trainer and fitness and yoga instructor. She is an avid animal lover who fosters dogs and volunteers with rescues. When she is not torturing clients or talking to imaginary characters, Lynn enjoys spending time with her FDNY husband, their son, the happiest little boy in the world, and their three stubborn Dotsons. Sewing for her Etsy shop and trying complicated yoga poses on a stand-up paddleboard. So far, she has not fallen into the water. So please welcome Lynn to the show. Hello. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi. We're going to talk about your journey to publication, and we're going to start by going all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing, and then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? I've never been a writer. I've always been a really big reader um, from the time I was little. And I would read all the time. Like my mom used to have to stop me from, I would read as I was walking, read at the din- dinner table, read in the bathtub, like anywhere I could read. And she would take my books away at the table. So then I would start reading like ketchup bottles and like, you know, cereal boxes. Um, so I've always loved to read. And I never thought to write. I think in college, I once tried to write a book and it was so bad. I was so embarrassed that I put it away. <laughs> And so, you know, according you can hear from my bio, I've been more into the performing arts um, and being a personal trainer, yoga instructor. So I used to live in New York City. And in 2000, I think it was 13, I moved out of the city. And I only moved like an hour north of the city. But all my friends in the city was like, what are you doing in the country? I'm like, I don't live in the country. It's a suburbs. <laughs> so I started a blog just to, you know, let them know what I was doing up in the country. And the blog just kind of like took off, you know, my friends thought they were funny and people just start loved reading them. And those stories just were basically my life up here, you know, in the country and whatever. And one day, I think it was like January 1st, 2015, I just woke up and said, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a book. And at this point, I've never taken a writing class before, except for, you know, what was in high school and English in college. And I was like, oh, I can just write a book. So I wrote a book in six months, not having you know, read anything about reading, writing a book. And then, so June of 2015, I was like, I'm going to, you know, query, send this out and it's going to get published. (laughs) Not knowing what a hard process it was. And I sent out some really cringy letters, query letters, um, you know, because they say personalize it. And because I was a personal trainer, I was like, tell this one agent who likes to run that I hope my book made her as sweaty as, you know, her (laughs) (laughs) workout. If I ever meet this agent in person, I will apologize because like looking back, I was like, oh my God, what did I do? And then I was like, why aren't I getting any responses? So I finally did some research and realized that 
oh, and I also, nobody had ever read that book. Mm. Like I sent it out without anybody reading it. So I realized that you need critique partners, beta readers, that I needed to learn how to write a book because, you know, I didn't know. And um, also how to query properly. <laughs> so I got on Twitter. That was when I discovered Twitter because I didn't know what Twitter was. I had an account, but I never used it because I'm like, who cares what, what I'm twitting? You know, I thought it was called twitting because it's Twitter. <laughs> and I was like, I don't twit. And then I found this whole writing community <laughs> on Twitter and found a critique partner. I joined um, different writing groups and just basically got as involved as I could and enter contests to learn how to be a better writer. And I was lucky, you know, I, I live near New York City, so I was able to go take some workshops. From there, I just got better. And even though that book never got picked up, it took me, you're probably going to ask me this later, but it took me three and a half years and three manuscripts before I signed with an agent. So mm -hmm. it's a long road. All right. Can you tell us a little bit more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author and what you thought that that might look like for you? So I guess it was that October when once I figured out that it's not that easy to get an agent and get a book published, I went to um, a writing, I think it was like a pitch conference or not, not a pitch. I'm sorry. It was learning how to write a pitch workshop. And they there was an agent panel. Um, you, you didn't pitch them. You just kind of they talked and, you know, and I figured out how to pitch. And then there was an agent, I mean, not, I'm sorry, there were editors there from some publishing houses that came and you could pitch them. And two of them actually requested my manuscript, one from Berkeley and one from, I think it was St. Martin's or something like that. And it was, I think it was in that moment when somebody actually requested something, I was like, oh my God, I want to get published. And mm -hmm. it's funny because I got editor requests before I ever got an agent request. And so from that point, I was like, oh, now, now you know, I got a foot in. No, no it wasn't. It was still hard. <laughs> but that was the moment when I was like, when I talked to agents and editors and, you know, heard the whole process, that's when I was like, I really want to get published. I didn't know it was going to be so hard. I thought, you know, I, I would read like things on the internet about how people said it took them five books or two books or three books and years. And I was like, no, that's not going to be me. I'm going to get an agent next year. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you mentioned Twitter and that writing conference, but how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to find agents, how to query, all that different stuff. It was all through Google and just Googling things. And then um, once I met some writers on Twitter, just talking to them, you know, having conversations back and forth. It's so important to talk to writers. And I mean, like writers at your own stage, but also writers ahead of you because they're the ones that have gone through it. So for me now, as a published author, I try to help people that are behind me, like coming up, and just to give them insight, because I had no clue. I had no idea about, what, you know, first of all, how to write a query letter and all that. But everything I learned is really just from talking to people and Googling whenever I need the answers. Mm. So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from then to signing your first book contract? So I actually got five requests from that first book um, from agents. And it was so, it, like, I read it now. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so bad. I, I'm so <laughs> sorry I subjected those agents to that book. Um, but I finally figured out it wasn't working. So I put it aside. And then because I'd never taken a writing course, I don't know anything about, you know, the three-act structure or Save the Cat or any of that techniques. I just took all my favorite books and books that I really loved. And I basically dissected them like, okay, where does she start dropping the first hint? Where was the climax? Where, you know, what happened then? How was it plotted? Was it 
dual point of view, you know, single point of view. And I studied my, those books, like if they were, you know, text, I took notes and everything. And that's how I wrote my second book. I realized I can't be a pantser because I was a pantser. I would just sit down and just write. I had no outline. Um, so I realized I needed to plot for me. And so for my second book, I plotted it all out, like exactly what was going to happen. That book got me, I think like 15 requests. So I was really excited thinking, and I kept getting so close, but in the end, they were like, they loved the story. They didn't like the way it was structured or whatever. So I had to put that book aside and then I gave up. I was like, I'm not making any money. I also did not tell anybody I was writing a book except for my husband. Um, and I only told him because I didn't want him to think I was having an affair because I kept disappearing for hours <laughs> at a time. So I just had to make sure he knew, but um, nobody knew. So I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like writing, spending all this time, not making any money, you know, hiding it from my friends. So I gave up for like a month and I had joined a New York City critique group at that time. And when they found out, they're like, you know, if that's really what you want, that's, that's your decision. But if you really love to write, don't give up, just write for yourself. And I thought about it. And then one day I um, came up with the idea how to fix my first book. I was like, you know, I still love the characters or anything, but the story was not really good. And I found a way how I wanted to tell a story. So I completely restructured it. It's the same characters, but everything was, the story was completely different. And I wrote that book and I was like, you know what, if I'm going to quit, I'm going to give it all I got. I'm going to enter in contests. I'm going to do whatever I can, you know, join there's so many online contests you can join, you know, like Pitmad and DV Pit and all that stuff. And then Pitch Wars, you know, I said, I'm throwing my hat in there. And I literally just like, I'm going to go out with a bang. If I fail, I'm going to fail spectacularly. And at least I can look back and say, I did everything I could. So I joined Pitch Wars. I didn't get in, but all four mentors I submitted to requested a full. And they told me at the end that the reason they didn't pick me was they felt like my query and sample was ready to query. Mm. So they, so then they told me you don't need this three month period, whatever, just go query. So I did. And I got, I signed with an agent, like, I think like two weeks before the showcase that year. Mm. Then that was three and a half years and three books from the time that I started querying. (laughs) (laughs) And then did you do edits with your agent before you went on on some? Um, she actually um, gave me a, what do you call it? An R&R, a revise and oh. resubmit. So right after Pitch Wars, I sent it to her. She was one of my top three agents that I wanted. And this the third time around, I did a lot of research and I didn't just query anybody. I actually did research to see what kind of you know books she was selling, um, her genre, how fast she was, if she was editorial. And so she had asked for an R&R like right after I sent it to her, like if, I think a few days or a week or so. And I did the R&R, but I waited till after Christmas because then it was the holiday season and whatever. So I sent it to her like the first week of January. So I was able to, I guess she wanted to do that because she wanted to see if I could take her notes and, you know, edit them properly. It was a pretty significant edit. And so she ended up offering and we did one more rounds of edits, but I was literally on sub, which means, you know, going to the publishing houses, I think it was like three days after I signed a contract with her. Oh, wow. So it was a pretty quick turnaround. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So then what happened with the submission process? You know, again, this is where I say you should definitely know people who have been ahead of you to prepare you for that submission process. Because in my opinion, being on sub is like a thousand times more torturous than query. (laughs) And people think querying is bad, right? Um, Nobody prepared me for this. 
Um, Because with querying, you're in control. Like there are so many agents out there that if one agent, if you get a rejection, you can rage query and just send out five more or 10 more, whatever it is. And you can pick the agent that you're sending to and you, you know, you have the control. Whereas when you're on sub, you have no control whatsoever. You don't, (laughs) sometimes you don't even know which editors are being pitched. Um, My agent gives me a list. So I know, but I've heard from friends that they're like, they don't even know who the editor is at the house. And you have no idea. You have no control. You don't know what is being said out there. Um, And there's only a, really a handful of editors that could possibly acquire your book. Mm -hmm. And so if whenever you get one rejection, it's just like one less person and, you know, it could take months. So it was torture. It only took me five months. My agent sold it after five months, but those five months felt like five years. <laughs> and it's like, and then I hear later that that's not, you know, people have been on sell for over a year before they get sold or it doesn't sell. And so I was lucky that my first book, so my editor ended up buying that second book, which was I mean, the third book, which is really the first book rewritten. Mm. And she bought my second book, the one that died when I was querying. Oh. So I was lucky that both my books got picked up. Yeah. I was just thinking today about how that happens, how you get an agent with one book and then they end up selling a book that you previously queried and didn't get taken up. Right. And I was hoping to find some people this season who had that story. So that was me. And I tell people, you know, I have friends are querying and, you know, they are giving up and they're going, I was like, keep that book in the back burner because you never know when, you know, you're, if you, when you sign with the agent and you sell a book, and the editor asked you, do you have another book? She's like, oh, why, yes, I have this other book. <laughs> and I sold it to, we sold it to her just on me giving a verbal query of it. Like, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, at that point, when I was talking to the editor the first time, I was so flustered. I had no idea what I said to her. And so <laughs> the fact that she bought it, I was like babbling, like incoherently. It's like, it's about this woman and, you know, something happens. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Sure. So this is the query letter I wrote that got me my agent. It's kind of long, I guess. So dear agent, I am seeking representation for my novel, The Tiger Mom's Lies, multicultural women's fiction complete at 87,000 words. Alexa Thomas has never quite fit in. Growing up in a family of blondes while looking like Constance Wu, she's neither white enough nor Asian enough. She hasn't seen her Taiwanese father or visited Taiwan since the summer she was 12, when her father believed the lies of a woman intent on securing her own child's future. Devastated by his betrayal, Lexa fled home to New York with her white mother, turning her back on her Asian heritage. Now 35, Lexa has finally found a sense of self. She doesn't want children because she won't risk doing to a child what her father did to her. Instead, she finds fulfillment in the personal training clients she tortures. But when her strange father dies unexpectedly, leaving the fate of his family in Lexa's hands, her safe life of burpees and planks is no longer enough. She needs to return to Taiwan and claim her place in her heritage or her Taiwanese family will lose their home. Armed with the advice of two half-sisters, one American and the other in Taiwanese who can't stand each other, a mother who's had a recent change in sexual orientation, and a man whose kisses make her walk into walls, but alas, he has a child. Lexa finally confronts a woman who drove her away. As the truth of that long ago summer slowly unfolds, she must stand up for herself and decide if she'll open her heart to love and family or allow her her father's estrangement to forever dictate the path of her life. Alternating between the present and the past and sprinkle with snippets of her client's antics, the Tiger Mom's Lies employs the plot twists and humor of Leah Moriarty, 
with an Asian spin and will appeal to fans of Kevin Kwan's character, Rachel Chu. A member of WFWA, I was born in Taiwan and grew up in the States. I'm a certified personal trainer, yoga instructor, and owned a gym in Manhattan for 10 years before fleeing for the peace and quiet of the suburbs. Thank you for your time and consideration. Um, and, you know, I would personalize it with here are the three chapters or first 50 pages, whatever it was that they asked for. How much of the personal trainer storyline is based on your experiences? Oh, all of it is. <laughs> I have uh, awesome. clients who read the book and they're like, hey, that I said that. I'm like, I know. It's <laughs> so funny. So how has your experience been since signing that first contract, especially were there any surprises along the way? Yeah, I mean, it's been hard. Nobody told me how hard publishing is. Like you think once you get a contract, well, first you think once you get an agent, then it's all roses. And then you're like, okay, once I get a book deal, then my life is set as an author. But it's not the case. Like there's so many things that we don't know about as authors, like, you know, where you're ranked within your publishing house. If you're a mid-list, big title, lead title, if you're not, um, even if you were and then your book bombs, are they going to pick you up again, you know, pick up your option? And then you have to worry about sales numbers and, you know, reviews, bad reviews, negative reviews, whatever it is, trade reviews. And it's been just overwhelming. Like, um, and then add to that debuting in a pandemic. So both my books came out in the pandemic. It's been like everything that you dreamt of, which is from physical arcs to like um, in-person author events. Like I was so looking forward to doing like signings and going to bookstores and stuff like that. All that has been gone. So it's been a very strange time because what I envisioned as an author life didn't happen. And I remember right before the pandemic, I, I my mom and my husband both said to me, Lynn, I think you should take some of your advance money and go shopping and buy some clothes because you don't wear any real clothes and you're going to need oh. some clothes. Because as a trainer, all I wear is yoga clothes, you know, like mm. uh, athletic clothes. I don't have any real clothes. They're like, we think you should go buy some clothes because you're going to have to do, you know, author events, whatever. So I did. I went out and bought some clothes oh, no. and then I never wore them because <laughs> then the pandemic hit. So I have all these like clothes that I plan to wear to events and they have never been worn. <laughs> so yeah, so it's been a completely different experience than I thought it was going to be. And it's been harder than I thought because my books didn't do great, but they didn't do, they didn't do bad, but they didn't do great enough. Mm -hmm. And then because of the pandemic, I write family dramas, which, you know, sometimes can get heavy and people don't want to read that right now. They want lighter things or something that's going to take them out of their, whatever it is that they're struggling with. And so it's been, it's been a very uh, strange ride, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, it is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. It's just uh, classifications that we like to put writers in. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I am a plotter. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Overwriter. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? Morning. When starting with a new project, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first? Um, I usually start with a character. It will pop into my head and then from there I go. Mm. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee. When you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Silence. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Get it down. What tools or software do you use to draft? Just Word. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Revising by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Uh, sequential order. 
And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I think I'm a reluctant extrovert, if there's such a thing. (laughs) All right. The show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, and we're going to get into that second cue now. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey, and were they realized, or did you overcome them, or how did that shake out? Um, So the first worry I had was when the pandemic hit, and you know everybody's books were getting pushed back, and mine obviously did too, but then it got pushed back even more um, because of what my editor told me was anti-Asian sentiments in mm. the United States. Um, I don't know if that was really true, but that's what I was told. And so my book got pushed, like it didn't come out till like two years after we sold the deal. And then from there, I realized that I was not a big priority for my publisher and my qualms or I was worried that it was going to get lost. And I felt like it did kind of get pushed aside for a bigger book. Um, because another Asian American book came out, or it wasn't Asian American, another Asian book came out from the same publisher, got pushed to where the month I was supposed to be in. And so that was when I knew that that was not exactly right. That was a big worry. And it did come to fruition because my book, you know, was okay. And yeah, so it's like, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. Like nobody tells you anything. And if you ask, you don't really get answers. So you just kind of have to like, you know, it's a good thing you have a, an agent to help back you up. And I have such a great agent, like she's in my corner. You know, we got on a phone call together to talk about it and decide if we wanted to push back. We did, but you know, it didn't do any good. But mm. <laughs> so now I go in a little bit smarter, like, and this is again, why I say you need writers who are ahead of you so that you can talk about stuff like this with and, you know, just figure out what you're going to do for yourself. Yeah. All right. Now it's time for the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that was kind of different or interesting or unique? I like to research um, the places that I sent my book. And I don't know if you know, but I've been living in, we lived in Kauai for two months last year during the pandemic. And I've been going, you know, back and people are like, how are you going there? I was like, because I sent my books there and I had to go there to do research. And my accountant's like, anytime you pull out your computer or talk to someone researching a book, you can write it off. So I was able to write off a lot of it. Um, so for me, being in the place and absorbing the atmosphere and just a hundred times better than just researching about it. So I tend to like to set my books in places that I've actually been in. Not everybody can travel. It just just something that that's my quirk. Like I have to know the place. And then I accidentally wrote a thriller last year during the pandemic. Cause it just got, it was started off as a family drama and it got darker and darker. And then there was a stalker and a killing and an accidental <laughs> murder. And I hated it. I was like, this book sucks. And a friend of mine read it. She's like, Lynn, this isn't drama. This is like a thriller. Yeah. Like, oh, you're right. And so I gave it to my agent. She's like, you're right. And she sold it. So now I like to look for places where people can die. <laughs> so whenever, <laughs> like, we were just in Maui because I want to set my next thriller there. And my nine-year-old son is like, mommy, I just found the perfect cliff where someone can fall off and die. <laughs> and then he goes, I'm going to write about it in my school journal. I'm going to tell, oh. say, I helped mommy uh, figure out how to kill someone. And then we went to happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so yeah, so that's my quirk. We we like to find places where people can die together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> when you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? 
Okay, you're hitting me at a low point right now. <laughs> so this is perfect to, uh, time to go. Actually, I'm doing okay right now. Um, it's it, I was not doing so well a few months ago because you know you have your two. I my two books came out really fast, back to back, like seven months apart. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because my first book got pushed back so far, and they already have a second one scheduled. So they came out really fast, and I have a third book coming out next year. So as of right now, I have three books up that you can order. And it sounds like a dream. And a lot of people are like, that's amazing. But the reality is that I'm at a point where I'm trying to dis- we're trying to figure out what genre I'm writing in because you know I've had family drama. I've um, written this thriller. And now I'm kind of ahead of the game and not sure what I'm writing. And so I'm at that point where I was like, why do we do this to ourselves? And I was like stressing. You know, it's hard not to compare yourself to others. Like mm-hmm. you see somebody else get a, you know, a TV deal or get a big three book deal or whatever. And you're here trying to figure out what you're doing. And I just realized that um, I love to write. I have so many stories inside me. I have my agent knows I have got like six stories in the works and she's, you know, read the outlines of them. So I'm just going to keep writing. And if anybody wants to buy them, that's great. Eventually, I think I will keep publishing. You don't know, you can't predict the future, but my agent believes in me and um, so does other people. So I just have to write for myself right now and not worry about when the next book is going to come out. Because I think I was so focused on making sure that I had a book a year come out, whatever it was, or whatever goal I had set in mind. So now I'm just writing because I want to write and I'm hoping that will carry me through, you know, this little tide I'm having. So (laughs) nice. It's funny, the episode that is coming out next week when we're recording this, I think it was Pyle Doshi, was talking about how we compare ourselves to the people who are ahead of us, but we never compare ourselves to the people who are trying to get where we are. Exactly. And I just thought that was such an interesting thought because, yeah. Yeah. What do you feel like are some of the mistakes that you made along the way that you might want to warn listeners about so they don't make the same ones? Don't send cringy letters to agents. <laughs> Do not say anything that sounds perverse. Or, you know, Any too- references to bodily functions. Yeah, do, not, do not make them sweat until they're, you know, red in the face, whatever I said. And um, yeah, so that's number one. And number two, um, I think is just, ha- I think you really need to have realistic expectations of what this journey looks like. Like as a new writer at the time, I, I really thought that once I got an agent, my life was set as an author. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Like you have people who have agents and have had books die on sub. Um, I know someone who had, I think she had like eight books on sub and all of them died. And I don't think she got published until the ninth book. And now she's doing really well. So the other thing is like, you never know just because somebody's on top and you're on the bottom, it could flip flop. Cause I had people ahead of me who had gotten agents before I did that now have broken up with their agent. Meanwhile, I've published three books. and But when we started, she was way ahead of me. So it's mm-hmm. like you can't, comp- like you said, you can't compare yourself to other people. You really try to have to stay in your lane. And, you know, everybody's journey is different. You can talk to people, but it's so hard not to compare. But yeah, that's probably one of the biggest pitfalls I think people fall into. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey? Um, my one, I think one of the biggest things I feel that helped me was to have a group of writer friends who were at the same timeline as me. Um, we have formed a group 
of like debut writers that came out the same year with the same publisher. And we just are, we're on uh, what do you call it? Um, Discord. Thank you. <laughs> we are on Discord. And it's just such a great, healthy check-in to just know like, hey, did this happen to you? Or what is going on? I got this strange email from my editor or, you know, the team wants me to do this. And it was so sanity saving to have them be a sounding board. And I think, and especially because some sometimes something happens and people go on Twitter and complain about it. And then there's like a big backlash. You know, you can't go, you can't complain openly a lot about a lot of what happens in publishing. So to have that sounding board, it's great. But I also had to step away from it sometimes because when you're at a low point and somebody else has just got, you know, like a, some big deal or whatever, mm. it can be hard. So it's, it's kind of like you need a balance of your work, I mean, your book friends, and then you also need a hobby. You need something else to do, whether it's knitting, crocheting. For me, it's sewing. I love to sew. Um, or just taking a fitness class. To have that balance, I think it's so important. I call this the acknowledgments portion of the podcast. Perfect segue. Uh, this is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people or even organizations who helped you along the way and how? One organization I joined was the Women's Fiction Writers of, wait, WFWA, Women's Fiction Writers Association. <laughs> I'm so bad at <laughs> acronyms. It's just a group of people who write women's fiction. I don't really like calling my works women's fiction because like the whole idea that it should only be for women is just, so I usually call them family drama or book club fiction, but the group, I met some great authors from there who have been a great sounding board and just, you know, really important. And my writer friends, I had two or three critique partners who have kind of been through this with me, Jessica Armstrong, who just got some really great news and she can't share yet. So I can't share, but that's her. And then um, Delise Torres, who I think signed with an agent last year. She was my first critique partner. And then my whole critique group in New York City, the New York City Writers Critique Group have been, they're the ones that really got me on the path to actually being a writer. So. All right. Since we already heard about the Tiger Mom's Tale from your query letter, can you tell us about your upcoming book? Sure. So my third book that's coming up next uh, in January of 2023 is that accidental thriller that I wrote. It's based in Kauai and started off as a family drama. So a woman who is married um, and she basically her life falls apart. She loses her company, has to go bankrupt. Her beloved dog dies, her mom dies. And then something, there's an accident near her house in New York and her son was jeopardized. So they decided to move to Kauai to start over thinking that, you know, the sunshine Mai Tais is going to make them feel better. But then strange things start happening. Like she feels like somebody's following her. She keeps finding things from her past in Kauai and doesn't know where it came from. And so she's losing her mind. And then one stormy night, a woman shows up on her doorstep when she's home alone looking for shelter. So she lets her in thinking and they bond and, you know, she thinks it's a great friend. And then she's like, this woman looks familiar and she doesn't realize how much their lives are intertwined and that she's about to lose everything. So it's called Someone Else's Life. Mm. I just got the cover for it. And it's so creepily, stunningly beautiful. It's like, yeah, <laughs> really excited about it. Awesome. Looking forward to that one. Yeah. All right, Lynn, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with my listeners. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. 
You can find the text of Lynn's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.